Hello, and welcome to the Counterpress Podcast. I am your host, Kurt Kinsey, and with me, once again, after a brief absence, is Josh Cacho. Josh, what's going on? Not too much, obviously. You know, it's a, it's the, just the start of the crazy a crazy week of football. So, you know, like I said, I'm excited. There's a lot to talk about. You know, this game was, you know, from a tactical standpoint, not exactly the most... Uh, intriguing game but at the same time there's definitely still a lot to, to think about especially as we head into two big games this week mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so of course we are going to do our in-depth analysis of the two zero the two no win over real salt lake i want to shout out uh, jerry jimenez one more time thank you for coming on and doing and helping me with the instant reaction on saturday night um that meant a lot to get some help there now josh since you didn't get to voice your opinion on the instant reaction do you have any you know opening shots here that you want to that you want to fire off um i think maybe we should go down to 10 men more often when we're playing against some of the teams <laughs> that like to bunker in because honestly you know again for f- we kind of saw in the beginning of the game what we've seen you know from a lot of the teams that like to play more defensively obviously real salt lake has a little bit more to offer going forward when they eventually do you know but at the same time their midfield was going to do exactly what we've seen from teams like, you know, uh, Carson and um, who's the other one that ten, New England is a little bit like that too, where they're just going to park their two uh, center midfielders in front of the defense, you know, try to make the midfield just hard to play through, which kind of forces you to out wider. And then again, when you're starting to push up numbers to try and break down, you know, this block of six, essentially, um, you know, it's going to leave you vulnerable to some counterattacks. And so what ended up happening, obviously, when, you know, when Zimmerman picks up that red card and we go down a man, right? Well, at that point, you know, a 0-0 game, RSL thinks that they're going to be able to pick up now three points um, at home. But then that, with that open up, with that field opening up now, right? Now comes LAFC playing at their best against a team that wants to play open an open game. This is where they thrive. And Vela just picked that perfect moment to make his run leading to the PK and then the subsequent goal, um, you know, and then same thing later on with Lee feeding Dio at that point. Again, when you just, they play so much, but you know, the, the way that they're able to play against teams that are coming at them and playing open, you know, again, it's just something that MLS hasn't seen before. Um, you know, and I don't, you know, in, in, whether or not teams are going to be able to replicate anything close to it in the near future is, you know, again, it, it remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely feel like Salt Lake uh, opened up even more in the second half. They started uh, trying to really get down the left wing to Corey Baird once uh, Latif moved back into the right back to fill in for Betashore, who came up to make way for Blackman. Um, let's talk about that red card real fast because that definitely has some uh, implications for the game on Wednesday. And I feel like it kind of helps explain the way the game unfolded in the beginning at least uh walker zimmerman got an early yellow card after he put a hand on demir krylak's back and krylak in a very veteran move went down zimmerman picked up the ball and was keeping it away from Corey baird trying to make sure that they didn't spring a quick counter and uh toledo wasn't having none of it from the beginning and i believe baird was already on a yellow card when this happened uh, and we're talking, you know, just a few minutes into the game. And he gives Zimmerman a, a yellow card for what I assume is just delaying the game and not letting them play. Um, which, you know, whatever. It's fine that you take a yellow there. 
I think the more egregious one is the is a second yellow card that he gets. He's just got to be more of a more aware of his situation there, um, and ends up picking up the red card. Uh, Josh, did you see anything about the way that Toledo was calling this game? What do you think about Zimmerman? Should he have known? Did that situation just kind of force his hand there? What do you think? No, I mean obviously, I think you know at that point weren't uh, you know I think at that point you you have to realize, you know, how the game is being called and those types of things. And again, you have to be aware of, of what, you know, of where you are in the game. I didn't, you know, like, I mean, at least what your, what your status is, right. You have to know that you're already on one. You got to be careful, you know, and I feel like walkers every now and then will have some of these moments where he's going to do, he's, you know, he's had a couple of these, these things where he's, you know, taken a bad foul or just done something like that. You know, I, I don't think it's to the level that we to the level of some of the criticism that I've heard, you know, in, you know, within the LAFC circles. But at the same time, you know, like I said, I think he just has to be more aware of the situation and also how aware of how bad a ref of, you know, Valdemar Toledo is. Um, you know, there's two refs in this league that I, I just don't, like just don't understand. One is, or I guess there's three because you have to throw Ted Uncle in there after mm-hmm. he had the, um, what was the game that, didn't he have a pretty crazy game recently? Or that mm. we had involved wasn't that the um, the Seattle game? I think it may have been Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. Ted Uncle Toledo and then Elfath, who to me are the three worst refs in the game. They should pretty just they, they if if at all possible they should be relegated to holding the clock for <laughs> stoppage time. Um, but you know beyond that again I you know regardless of who it is again it's not something that you can place blame on the ref because they're going to make the calls as they see, as they see fit. You know, he has to be aware of the situation, understand that, you know, they can, these, this is, these are definitely, you know, how the, how he's going to call it, those types of things. You have to, you just have to be smarter about it. And again, he lost his head in, in a couple of those moments and, you know, he obviously paid for it, um, you know, but at the same time, you know, I think there's leading up to that point, you know, it's, he gets put in a bad situation on the second one. Cause I think Latif loses the ball in like a weird position. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there. And so, you know, obviously he has, you know, being the, the defender there, he has to try and do something, but again, realizing, you know, what the situation was, you know, did he need to take it? You know, was, was Segura going to be able to recover? Was someone back? I have, I would have to go back and double check to see where um, the rest of the defense was positioned at that point. You know, the, unfortunately we, the, the major league soccer and, you know, I think some of the broadcast partners, have terrible views of the field. I'm like, just zoom out and leave it out. But, you know, they want to show these weird right. close-ups in the middle of the game that don't really do much for our tactical viewing pleasure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, t- uh, two things on that red card. Um, it does come off of a bad Latif giveaway. So, I mean, we're talking like the 47th minute. So they've just come out from uh, halftime. And I think Atuesta draws a foul, and or maybe it was Dio, and Atuesta plays a ball into blessing um who's backpedaling who's backpedaling and he's got beckerman on providing pressure and he fires in a bad pass to to vela and it's difficult to control vela takes kind of a bad touch but is able to get the ball back to blessing and that's when everton Luis just muscles latif off of the ball and he's off to the races um latif is keeping pace with them so it's kind of weird to me that Z- that Zimmerman waits for the ball to get past him and then takes out Luis, uh, considering Latif is right on his right on his shoulder as well. 
So he's got it covered, and Segura is in, you know, he's in decent position to recover as well, or at least cover one of the runners if they can just show Luis out to the out to the wing and delay. Um, so it is a bad foul, but I mean, he is put in that position because of a bad giveaway, and it happens kind of fast. Um, but I mean, you know, all's well that ends well. We end up playing quite well without. Uh, without an extra man, and I feel like it did open up the game, at least for RSL, where they started taking more chances and were able to create after that. Um, so he obviously is going to be out for the San Jose game. We got a couple questions about that. I assume you would be seeing Tristan Blackman. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think this was one of the we had talked about this before in terms of. I think it was we had. I think you had wanted to see potentially Danilo Silva fill in at that position um, mm-hmm. because of you know just his ability to pass from the back. And given that San Jose, um, you know, plays their man marking system except for usually the one center back. You know, again, I think, and I think we saw some of Blackman's deficiencies in terms of the passing game. You know, in the in the the Red Bull game, honestly, mm-hmm. remember what you know they he was essentially the press trigger you know, for, you know, when the ball went to him, that's when the press started. And so I think there could be some, there could be a shout here. You know, I think now Silva looks like he's, he's a little bit more fit to have Blackman now fill, you know, rotate for beta and then mm-hmm. have Silva play inside, you know, next to Segura. Cause I'm assuming Segura is probably going to be the guy that continues. I mean, he has to start at this point now. Yeah. Um, given the you situation. Know what's what's interesting about the Silva thing is that, when he came in for Dio in like the 84th minute or something, he actually moved into right back uh, instead of center back. Blackman was still playing in the center. So I, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe Blackman really is just the third center back at this point. And, you know, he'll play, he'll play right back if both Sigur and Zimmerman are around. But uh, I don't know. I thought I did think it was interesting that we saw Silva come in, but not play center back there. Yeah, I, uh-huh. and I mean, I don't know if it was a matter of at that point in the game, are they now almost playing a back three, right? Where that where that right side's not going to push. You know, you're really not trying to push the the back outside backs forward, so you're just kind of sitting sitting them all down in front. You know, like mm-hmm. Harvey maybe is the guy that gets is going to continue to get forward, but Silva's going to lay back a little bit more because I don't even remember really seeing him cross midfield. Um, and so I don't know if that was just more a matter of that you knowing that you weren't really going to be pushing high. And, you know, to this, to a certain degree, you know, Tristan Blackman, I don't think has ever seen an op- an overlapping run that he didn't want to take. No, no. Or, you know, or a pass, an errant pass that he didn't want to intercept and immediately get on. I mean, that's honestly one of the things that I love about his game and that he's got the pace to, to retreat if he needs to. Um, so, I mean, I'm all about him coming in and trying to beat that, that man marking system if he can. Um, you know, we we have a bunch of questions about this game, and I think it's because of the fact that we have Galaxy on Sunday and San Jose tomorrow. Or, yeah, I guess it'll be tomorrow if you're listening on Tuesday. Um, so I think we should get into some of these questions right away, even though we don't normally do that on our in-depth analysis shows. Um, first one, we're going to give it to at LAFC Benjamin. Thank you for always bringing in some good questions. He asks us this. Should Bob place K on the bench and only put him in the game if necessary, considering a yellow card would cause him to miss the game versus Carson? Or do you take the risk and start him anyway? Maybe give Lee Wynn the start. We need K on Sunday. 
Josh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I have to think that they're that K K is not going to feature. Um, you know, if if at all possible, I think your your likely midfield is probably going to be Atuesta, um, Blessing, and and Win um, as your as your as your midfield again, and then up top. You know, again, I, the, it's weird because again, we don't really have given some the one what we're waiting on, what we're waiting for from you know from the uh, from the new transfers and some of the guys we've sent out on loan. The roster is a bit thin at the moment, and so I'm not really sure who's going to be available um, and who they may have called back in. You know, for this particular game, because we've we've done that a couple of times before. I think we called in Yakovic uh, at the Gold Cup time and then sent him back. The reason he just got sent back down to Las Vegas. So we'll kind of see what it, what it looks like and who who ends up being available for for this match for the bench. Um, Again, with three days, you know, with the amount of rest that they have, it's not, it's not, let's put it this way. This is playing with a, a midweek game is not anything that's done all over the world that isn't done all over the world, right? You mm-hmm. see, you know, the best of the best teams have a midweek championship game, Champions League game, and then have to come back into the Premier League game or whatever league you're in and play, you know, a, a, a derby game, you know, or a big rivalry game, whatever you want to call it, you know, like, so... If at the same time, you know, yeah, we can rot- we may want to rotate here or there and just to make sure you're fresh. K is one of the ones I think, I don't think it's a matter of, you know, like less for a matter of fitness and more just availability. But at the same time, I don't think, I don't think they're going to, they're going to not play people as a matter of fitness because I think at this point you have to be able to, under, you know, like it's only going to get worse from here, especially if they qualify for CCL next year. Right, so mm-hmm. they have to be expecting that the midweek game is going to be be a thing. You're going to play forty to 50, 50 games a year, and so it's like one of those things where you say, get used to it now, you know. And I think most of these guys would rather play midweek game than train, anyways. Um, right, right. And so you know, because Bob's Bob's training, you know, training is notoriously difficult. And so I again, I think it's one of those things where they're probably you're probably going to see a little bit of rotation, but not to the extent that you normally would, given. You know, like maybe like the Houston situation where you had the U.S. Open Cup, you know, two days before, you know, and mm-hmm. then, you know, and that sort that type of thing. And so I said you'll see a little bit, but not not probably not to the extent that I think we're we may be expecting. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and shout out at LAFC Punk right now. He asks, do you see Bob Bradley resting any of the regular starters to rest them up for the Carson match on Sunday? And I agree with you here. I don't think he's going to rest anybody just for rest. Uh I wouldn't be surprised to see Wynn start over Mark Anthony K. Not only because of the yellow card accumulation, but also I do think Lee Wynn will fare a little bit better against the man marking system than than Mark Anthony K will. Um, we've talked about this briefly before, but one of the big things with undoing a man marking system is to beat your individual man, uh, and I think with Lee Wynn's skill on the ball, I think that's going to help unlock a lot of things for us in the midfield, especially if you combine him with, with blessing, uh, who's going to be able to get free and, you know, delay, delay, delay his man, stay on the ball rather well, um, and find an open pass. And then Lee Wynn's ability to, you know, drive to the wing or stay on the ball or make defenders miss, I think is going to be a key in in unlocking that defensive system. So I'm with you there. Uh, another shout out here is uh, Jonathan Evans at Evans at Law. Start win. 
he's on he's on good form and like you said the risks for mac are too high so it seems like that's kind of the consensus is you just go ahead and start win so you can have the regular starting 11 against carson um and not to get too far ahead of ourselves but i think you might see k post up on uh Zlatan a little bit more than this match just because he's got a bigger frame than Atuesta or Segura do. So it wouldn't surprise me to uh, see him rested to make sure we have him against Carson. Yeah, I think it'll um, be a lot like what we saw, what is it, last year when he, before, in the game, in the in the moments of the game before he actually got hurt, where mm-hmm. that was basically what he was doing. He just, you know, he'll have that responsibility of sitting between the center backs and then just kind of making sure that you know, you have that defensive, a little bit more defensive stability when you, when we're pushing forward. Right. But again, we'll right. we'll save that topic for a little bit later on and how they how that fat how they plan out there. Yeah. So we got pretty deep into the implications of Zimmerman's right card there. It does suck to get him back and then immediately lose him again. Uh, interesting fact that I'm sure you're all aware of. That's our first red card of the of the season, um, which is pretty impressive given the fact that. We do get into a lot of chippy games, um, and teams typically will come at us hacking. Um, so for our center back to be the first one to get a right, or you know, to get his first red card in August, I think that's pretty impressive from a fair play standpoint. Um, Josh, did you see any changes from Salt Lake once we went down a man? I mean, they definitely started pushing out a little bit farther forward, right? I mean, I think understanding that the game you know the game was theirs for the taking right you know zero zero you're at home you know like if you were to continue to bunker in that's just you know like i don't that would just be a bad look in my opinion in front of your own home mm-hmm. fans so i think you started to see them open up a little bit everton started pushing up higher instead of just kind of sitting back you know i think the, for the first half beckerman and, and everton were basically just sitting on the wings um and and we're double teaming vela and or rossi in the, along with the fullbacks, I think what you right. started a little bit seeing more from their four two three one in the second half was that Everton, you know, Beckerman would be the lone holder with with Everton kind of pushing, trying to link up with the forwards and kind of push the push the game along, uh, you know, and I think that's what sprung the sec. I believe is what sprung the 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 counterattack goal. You know, I mean, not goal, but I mean the what led to the PK on Vela. You know, was you know just you know another turnover in the middle of the field. They build up. Everton's caught a little bit farther forward than normal. That gives Vela the run down the middle of the field. You know that, you know which inevitably sets up the goal. I mean the the PK attempt. Right. I you know I can't find that in my uh, in my notes here exactly what it was that set that that PK up. But I think you are right. It does come in a moment of transition where uh, Dio's able to find Vela. And the you know the entire defense is out of position. Herrera just basically brings him down as a last ditch effort. Um, let's talk about that penalty real fast though, because uh, it's something that Jerry and I talked about on Saturday night about how he and I both still get a little bit nervous uh, when Vela steps up to the spot just because he's I think missed two this season, and that was the most confident penalty I've seen him take. I think in the black and gold. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think the approach was a lot different. You know, I think what you've seen, I think what you have seen previously, right, is is you know like that you know like what Joseph has done, and obviously led to him missing a few terrible penalties Oof, this year just for Atlanta. Brutal. Right, where where you're trying to do this weird hesitation, where you're trying to get the goal, you know, trying to see the goalie move one way or another, you know, early, 
you know, I think what you've started to see lately, and it's, I think with some of the new goalkeeper rules that are going to be implemented, not so much in MLS, um, this well, they won't be implemented in MLS this year, but definitely next year. And then for all, you know, CONCACAF play and anything, any other tournaments that it might be played is the, um, you know, they have to main one foot on the line, which doesn't allow for some of those weird, you know, hesitation things to actually, you know, benefit the the striker or the mm-hmm. penalty kick taker. And so I think what you've seen from what you kind of have to do now is you can't be cute about it, right? It's just hit a banger where no one can get to it. And I think that's what right, he it's decided to do. Ronaldo and, method, you know, right? obviously he's, yeah, he's, he's always been capable of it, you know, but I think like he's, he's, Carlos Vela is also so skillful that he can do what he wants. You know, he can kind of, he has that opportunity to, to do different things, you know, and it's that almost that, what is it? The curse of being too talented, you know, where mm-hmm. you, when you just would try stuff for the sake of trying stuff. And I think like the, the, the one that he took at New York that he missed, I think early in the game, um, you know, was one of those ones where you're just like, uh, you know, you know, those are ones you just need to hit, hit with pace, you know, make them stop it. Right. And I think, especially in the MLS where, you know, goalkeepers are not the greatest, you know, it's not like you're dealing with, you know, 80, $90 million goalkeepers like you are in the Premier League or some of these other places. Right. You know, they're largely mm-hmm. an afterthought with the exception of, you know, what, two or three are a little bit more big name. And, you know, so, you know, uh, what's his name before he left from Columbus? Um, Zach, Zach Steffen. And then, yeah, Guzan and Howard obviously have their their national team credentials. But at the same time, it's not like you're dealing with guys who are known to be, you know, the best keepers in the world. Right. And right. so at that point, make the, you know, put the onus on them to actually make a great save, you know? And I think that at that point, you know, instead of trying to be cute with it and do these different things, what you saw Vela do was just put, you know, put his boot behind it and hit it to a spot where no one, where no one, you know, like you have to be, you have to make an amazing save to get to it. Right. And that wasn't going to happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you incur a little bit more risk of possibly skying it or, you know, coming off the crossbar, but that was just magnificently struck. Um, so I was excited to see that. Hope to see more of those types of penalties in the future because he left no doubt on that one. Um, so when when we earned that penalty, Salt Lake also went down to 10 men, and that's when this game just completely opened up where you're playing 10 on 10. Um, and Salt Lake not only isn't able to bunker, but they no longer have a man advantage, which I think is where they really were able to inflate their possession stats for the game i think we ended up with like a 55 to 44 possession rate against them but we played you know 12 or 13 minutes with a man down um and they were able to just kind of toy with us a little bit more build up out of the back we kind of moved to that 4-3-2 we pushed rossi back into the midfield and we weren't pressuring as much as we normally would with just dio and vela up top so i think that they were able to just kind of sit on the ball a little bit and uh, move it around and wait for that, you know, wait to spring a good pass to the left wing over Latif, which is what I feel like I mostly saw them doing once we went a man down. Um, and once the game opened up like that, I felt like we just kept pouring it on. Um, I mean, to be fair, though, we had broken them down several times in the first half. Dio had quite a few chances. Um, and I know you kind of already covered it a little bit, but I've, I've really liked to see I've really liked his progression from a guy who's just looking to be fed the ball and then he'll, you know, take a touch or two and fire it in. 
uh, where this year we've seen him good in the holdup play. We've seen him good as a target man. Um, and I feel like in the past few weeks, since he's become more healthy, we've seen him look better on the ball, creating for creating for himself as well, where, you know, he's able to pick up the ball about 35, 40 yards out and he, and he's able to beat defenders on the dribble. Uh, and in this match, he comes, you know, he's got one where he beats two or three defenders and comes in with a left footed shot that, uh, very unluckily bounces back outside after hitting the inside of the post. Um, how do you feel about his progression, Josh? Yeah, I mean, I think earlier in the season, right, I think, we, you know, largely we we had a lot of complaints about, you know, that striker position and how we basically had to choose one, one versus the other, right? Do you have the guy who has the movement but lacks the finishing or do you mm-hmm. with the guy that has the finishing but lacks kind of the movement that's needed to make the, the front three flow in the way that we like to see? I think what you've seen over the last, four weeks or so is Dio start to show that ability to play a little bit more flexible, flexible along any of the front three positions, right? Primarily on off of the left-hand side, I think is where he's been stationed where he can cut in. Um, But at the same time, again, I think what it starts to do is now, now regardless of the four that you put in, whether it's a Rodriguez, whether it's Dio, what, you know, whether it's Rossi, you know, you basically pick any of any two of those three guys to surround around Vela, and you're going to have a f- fully flexible front three that's going to be, you know, able to play in that in that Barcelona style where, you know, people people are cutting and moving and doing different things at every level, you know, which is ultimately what Bob wants. You know, and again, I think the biggest thing is this is was this honestly to me was Dio's coming out party this this season, right? Last year you saw him you know, hit the ground running, score a ton of goals, and then, you know, hit a little bit of a rough patch with fitness. Didn't quite finish as strong as he started last year. And then, obviously, this year with the various injuries that he was recovering from to start the season and then picking up the hamstring game or hamstring strain in the DC United game. Again, it's one of those things where, you know, right when it seemed like he was hit, you know, earlier in the season, right, when he's hit trying to hit his stride, something will kind of hold him back. Now I think you're starting to see him him now fully integrated into the system here he's been here for now just over a year um you know because i believe he came in the no he came in the first transfer window last year right so right as of yeah yeah, i believe as of as of may or whatever that that would have been the first you know a full year so now you're starting to see him just be fully integrated into the system have a whole lot of training with the team you know get get that level of comfort in terms of playing with the guys you know obviously i don't think you know, like obviously, I'm, I'm I'm still think he gets a little bit frustrated with Rossi at times, whose whose service is a little bit left leaves a little bit to be desired from that left hand side. You know, again, because mm-hmm. he's more of a scorer himself, if anything. But at the same time, like I, I think you're starting to see him be able to create for himself, create for others, do different things. You know, and and again, it's the question I think that we had been that had been asked around, you know, in different circles was, is 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 it is he a guy that you're comfortable being your number two scorer or your number two guy, you know, going into the playoffs, going into MLS Cup and these different competitions where you need that consistency? And I think, you know, so we did have questions because they then the consistency just wasn't there. Same thing with Rossi, right? That they're they have their moments of brilliance, but again, the consistency wasn't quite there. I think now what you're starting to see that they've since they've actually had time to play together and some of these different things is some of that consistency starting to round itself in the form. Because while Vela's scoring output has 
I don't want to say slowed down because he still scored, but again, mainly from from PKs in the last few games, right? What you what you started to see is guys like you know Dio and Rossi start to carry the load a little bit more, which is again a promising sign heading into into the stretch run. Yeah, I I definitely agree that I think Dio has become more consistent in the past couple of weeks, and I think that's been huge for our success. Um, not only in terms of just loosening up the defenses around Vela, but also um, allowing, you know, more creative things to happen in the midfield uh, where, you know, he's dropping deeper to spring Vela on a, on a run or um, he's drawing more defenders, more attention. And, you know, once Lee Wing gets on the ball, he's able to be a free runner uh, and score that second goal. Um, so I think, I think you're going to continue to see him play better. Um, because he definitely does seem to be more and more healthy. I don't think we've seen him sub off in the last three or four games now. I guess he yeah, subbed off in this one. Played, but, you know, five yeah, he's played. So. At, he's played at least eighty minutes in the last, you know, what three to four games. Or yeah, and I, I mean, I really think this one was mostly just he was subbing off because we were again still trying to shift around after Zimmerman got the red card. But had he not been red carded, I don't know if Dio comes off in this match. Um, yeah, and also, I mean, obviously, you you're going to you have you know that knowing that you have two big games in the next few weeks, and you're already and you, at that point, you're probably going to win, you know, handle it, you know, mm-hmm. with. I don't think you think that Solik had showed anything that really was concerning at that point. So bringing him off another defender and giving him a little few more few more minutes of rest, you know, was probably you know was probably something that you're 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 planning on at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, talking about his chances, I did want to go over one of the goals. Well, one of the near goals that we had, uh, in the, I think it was like the 25th minute or so. Um, there's a chance I did a thread on Twitter about this for those of you who want to see the pictures about it. Um, but I think it's a, I think it's one of those promising things that I've really been waiting to see, which is LAFC breaking down a defense that's a bit more bunkered and just looking to, you know, thwart any kind of attack and then pray for a counterattack. This sort of, you know, MLS classic uh, look where you just have teams that are hoping for one break in the playoffs. And, you know, if we get a one no victory because we got one counterattack, then, hey, we're on to the next round. Um, the, the initial attack starts because Latif puts some pressure on Beckerman on a pass from Ramondo. And Beckerman just clears the ball out for a throw-in deep in our attacking third. Rossi throws the ball in, and you immediately see this little passing triangle form with Mark Anthony K, Diego Rossi, and uh, Jordan Harvey, who's pushed up again. I feel like this is the last four or five weeks where he's always in that attacking position there. Uh, they recycle the ball, and Rossi ends up floating centrally and switching with Atuesta. So now you have uh, this a new triangle on the left wing with Harvey and Kay and Atuesta and Rossi's floated central to the field. We've talked about how, you know, our front three has been very interchangeable the last month or so. What's really interesting about this to me is Kyle Beckerman before Rossi comes central is just kind of occupying space, just being annoying like he typically is. And as soon as Rossi comes into the midfield, uh, he man marks him. And so now Rossi's holding, you know, arguably their best defender, or at least their most ruthless defender in the middle of the field. And 
this little triangle is able to pass out of pressure and eventually Atuesta finds space on the left-hand side, uh, does a little give and go with Jordan Harvey and draws three different defenders, which leaves Jordan Harvey wide open in the box. Atuesta plays a quick pass to him and that's when Beckerman leaves Rossi. And this is where you really see defenses just start to break down is we're able to, you know, Again, I think sometimes you and I, Josh, say tiki-taka. I don't know if I can quite call it that. It's similar because we're in the passing triangles playing, you know, a bunch of little short passes and then springing a a quick attack afterward. Um, But that's similar to what this is. And now you have Jordan Harvey on the ball in the box with time. And he's got both Latif Blessing and Diomande right there or possibly Carlos Vela on the other side. Finds Blessing and it's cleared out by Beckerman on what I initially thought the penalty was for. Um, Blessing is able to just completely shake a defender out of his shoes with a croqueta, which is like the third time in two weeks that I've seen our midfield do this. It's clear that they've been watching Barcelona tape and just picking things up for Andres Iniesta. Um, And he's able to pass it over to Dio for a little flick on goal, uh, which is cleared off the line. But to me, that's a very long explanation of how LAFC is able to just completely dismantle a team that is known for bunkering in and being really annoyingly stifling uh, when it comes to scoring chances. And I think this bodes well for our, you know, our run into the playoffs here is our ability to utilize everybody on the field, including center backs and, and fullbacks to really undo teams in the attacking third. Josh, how do you feel about us looking forward like that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the question was asked by, you know, um, L.A. Wander and, you know, Monty from the Expos was, is this team ready, you know, for that playoff run, right? Is it, is, or is there anything that, you know, we see that could be done differently or whatever it may be? Um, and I think what you started to see is them try, you know, LAFC tried to start to find different ways to win certain games, you know, and I think this is something that we didn't necessarily see last year where, or, you know, or even earlier in the season where, you know, the majority of the goals were created off of the, you know, just turn over, turning people over in the high press, you know, and playing a little bit in transition, that sort of thing, you know. And I think when you look at the way this, you know, the way that this, the attack was built up, right, you know, like you were saying, like that the, the tiki-taka phrase, which is usually just people throwing it out there when you just see heavy passing possession style football, you know. But this one was a little bit more like Pep Guardiola 2.0. Um, this is something that you started to see him do a little bit more of when he was at Bayern Munich, where the and and at now at Manchester City as well, where the you know where normally you would have those those long overlapping runs from the fullbacks on on the flank, you know. But I think what you start, because of the way that RSL is defending the you know defending the wings, you know, having Beckerman and Luis basically flood out to the wings to take, you know, to make sure that Rossi and to basically limit the damage that Rossi and Vela can do to you. Right. And so what started mm-hmm. to happen now is that you saw both, you know, both Harvey and Beta start to make these underlapping runs. Right. So they're playing a little bit more centrally. And so, you know, I believe it was earlier, even you know, earlier in, in the game and probably around the, 15th or 16th minute, something along that line, you know, Vela actually just overcooks a pass to, um, to beta on essentially the same play on the other side of the field, you know, where he based, you right. know, where he starts out wide and it causes that thing. And then when they make that weird, that switch with the midfielder, the, um, 
you know, I think it was K that probably pulled out wide on that one. Beta makes this underlapping run, right? That out of nowhere that, you know, if, if Vela can find the pass, that's a, that's a, that's a walk-in goal, right? Like, you mm-hmm. know, that's, and at that, and at that point, you know, there's, they're now starting to find these different ways to beat down, you know, to break down the bus that they didn't have before. Right. I think a lot of it was at a certain point, they started relying on crosses and doing these different things, but you're starting to see patterns of play now that understands how to pull that, you know, that's very understanding of what, what's in front of them. So if they see a back, a line of four, you know, a back four, you know, that has two, two center defensive mids that are kind of coming down diagonally, you know, to, to take the ball off the wings. Now you're starting to see those underlapping runs occur. Right. Or if you have a back three, now you're starting to see some of the the um, the rotation and the false nine stuff to pull that middle defender out so then you can make the diagonal runs from the outside. You know, and so now you're starting to see just these little things, you know, starting to come in where you're not just reliant on just overlapping and hitting crosses into the box, you know, like we see from the team down the road, you know, where you're basically just get the ball to the wings, hit crosses into the box to break down some of the defenses that, you know, that are out there. And with the majority of teams in major league soccer, especially into the playoff, playing more of a defensive counterattacking style, right? Like Portland basically, you know, made, went on that late run and made it to MLS cup last year, just bunkering in and then hitting balls over the top to Valeria and Blanco. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's definitely the, you know, and, and again, New York, right. Who's won the supporter shield and set the record last year, you know, has had little to no success in the playoffs because they couldn't find a way to break down some of these buses. Now, I think right. I said the way that LAFC is playing is just they're finding that way. They have they have basically three or four different options based on how the defense is set up to break it down. And then again, that's something that I I don't think they've had in the past. I don't think that you've seen other teams have to be able to do the same thing. Usually what you see in the playoffs is a bunch of teams bunker, and then in the finals, maybe it opens up a little bit, but it's just who bunkers better. You know, who's going to counter attack a little bit better? Who get who makes that one mistake? Well, maybe that happens in the MLS final, but at the same time, I think what you're what you're starting to see a little bit of is you know just complete dominance of possession. You know, and again, it puts people on their back foot a little bit more. And when you have so many options, again, it's, at a certain point, it just becomes overwhelming. You know, you can see that three minute or what is it, thirteen minute you know, run in the Atlanta game and as evidence of that, right? Where a team, you know, like they're easily the second best team in the league at this point, that must, you know, probably. And mm-hmm. we put up four, one, you know, up four, one, you know, and had it not been for two mental gaffes, right? You're up for nothing in the first half. So, you know. Right. Right. Um, It is interesting. I think in the past month, we have seen LAFC become much more, uh, able to break down different types of teams and beat them uh, in various ways. And I think this kind of coincides. You, you mentioned Carlos Vela scoring, slowing down a little bit. Um, and I think, I mean, you're definitely right. He's not scoring at the same rate that he was at the beginning of the season. Um, and again, it's because teams adjust to him. And we've kind of found a way around that where we're still putting up, you know, four goals against Atlanta, four goals against Red Bull. Uh, two here at Salt Lake, even though we went down uh, a man. Um, so you're seeing them uh, score from different positions on the field, earn penalties, uh, score off of set pieces. 
And this is what I've always wanted to see is, you know, more of a, a three-dimensional attack rather than just, well, let's counter-press, let's win the ball, and let's find Vela as fast as possible, which is a great plan, but it doesn't always work if teams are game planning for it. And in the past in the past few weeks, you've seen LAFC beat a bunkered Salt Lake, uh, although not as bunkered as they typically are, a high-pressing Red Bulls, uh, who arguably have the best... Uh, press in the league and then a possession-based team in Atlanta who I think you rightly said uh, is the second best team in the league and uh, and the defending champions and it feels like they finally put those pieces together that they you know that they brought in over the offseason and Frank DeBoer's finally figured it out um, and we've been able to just get past all three of those teams with relative ease so for me this is what I did this is what I wanted to see oh and by the way we're bringing in extra reinforcements we have Diego Palacios and and Brian Rodriguez coming in as well so you're either going to be bringing them in off the bench as uh as super subs or you know you'll bring you you'll be bringing in Harvey to ice a game with an extra defender or Dio when you're chasing a goal and I think that's a a great position to be in when you have that much attacking and defending talent that you can bring in off the bench to help uh reshape the way a match is going um, so for me, Monty, it's a yes. This team is is ready and and built for the playoffs at this point, um, and it really does have to do with us being able to break down different types of teams and score different types of goals. Um, I feel like we've really covered everything from the Salt Lake match uh, that's pertinent here, and uh, yeah, I, know I mean we have it's a, kind of a weird game given given you know going down a man and you know so you have that basically what. 15 16 minute span when they're down you know when you're when you're playing 11 v 10 where again tactics are kind of out the door right i mean it was encouraging that they still played a back four you know and still continue to press with one less person you know i again that yeah. speaks volumes to how much confidence they have and they have to be able to do that but at the same time you know it's it's not exactly you you know when things like that happen again it, it you're just trying to tactically survive to a certain degree yeah yeah. Um, I mean, the only other thing that, that I had written down in my notes here was really that Latif had a few bad giveaways again. Uh, we talked about the one that led to the Zimmerman red card. There's another one in the first half where uh, he picks up the ball in between the center backs and Everton Luis comes in and muscles him off the ball. Uh, and I think it's Segura that comes over to help. So I, I don't know if I'd call that a trend. I think it's just something that other teams have picked up that, hey, we could probably muscle Latif off the ball. Um, so. I think that'll be one of those things that ends up getting corrected, though. And again, ultimately today, it doesn't hurt us all that much because we still end up with a clean sheet and a, and a win. Um, we did have a few more questions here. Uh, Jerry Reynoso at official underscore JR4. With the red card this past week and for Zimmerman, is there an added multi-game suspension? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's just he'll be up for San Jose, but back for Carson. Yeah, usually right. with when it's two yellows, it's just a one-game suspension. The three-game is usually only reserved for violent conduct. Right. None of right. which made. I don't think this met that threshold. Yeah. And then another uh, faithful listener, faithful questioner, Tycho B&G at Tycho Blue. I can't even predict a lineup. Heavy rotation, some rotation. Zimmerman out. Dio looked like he tightened up late. Can you confirm that Rodriguez has his visa? Is Palacios in the country? Will Bob dress less than 17 players? What kind of empanadas do you guys like? <laughs> so there's a lot in this one. I feel like we've got into the rotation 
Uh, we talked about Zimmerman and Dio. I think Dio gets to start. I think he's just one of those guys that uh, he's, you know, he's one of those classic strikers where, you know, if he gets hit, he's going to go down and he's going to make a, a, a deal out of it. Uh, can you confirm that Rodriguez has his visa? I can't. Can you, Josh? No. I mean, the last we heard was from Vince, you know, saying that they would be unavailable for this past match. But again, I, I, I don't anticipate them probably being available until after after Carson. Yeah, uh, you know, again, I, I mean, I probably wouldn't even play. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'm not sure I want to consider playing them in that game. You know, just because again, we saw what mm-hmm. a bad moment can do for for a young guy like you know, like Andre Orta. And so, you know, I think long. You know, what you'll probably end up seeing is, you know, you you they they probably get. I would assume. Let's see what when the when did the when did the window close? Like last, like eight a uh, week ago or two weeks ago now. I think it was the seventh of August, right? So about a week and a half ago. Right. So at the seventh, so you're looking at another at minimum, you know, another five or six days for their, you know, I think was the the it's supposed it's a 15 day waiting period for the visa to process, um, with the expedi- with it with it being expedited, and that doesn't necessarily mean you know so it could be sooner, could be a little bit later. You know, obviously, when you're dealing with the government, you're, I would expect to be everything to be on that later side of things. You know, they rarely do anything quickly. Um, and yeah. so at that point, you know, I said I would expect that 15 days to probably to take it the full 15 days, you know. Um, and so at that point, you're looking at them probably starting training sometime this week. So I can't imagine they're going to feature in either of these next two games, just given the lack of you know training time that that'll be available. And I haven't right, seen anything right. to see it. Then they, I, you know, I think they had, there were some pictures from training from today and I didn't see them there at all. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one he asks is, will Bob dress less than 17 players? So if you didn't notice or didn't hear about it, we only dressed 17 uh, for this match against Salt Lake um, as a result of some of the loans that we sent out. And I do think this is the one area or that one area of you know the roster construction that I think is interesting at this point is we never brought in another center midfielder to uh, to play behind Win. Now we've got Peter Lee Vassell, but we loaned him to Phoenix. I think he might have come back for training. I think I saw some pictures of him training with his team again. Um, but I do find it just a little interesting, a little. Uh, nerve-wracking that there isn't a center midfielder to play behind win. I mean, we have the ghost um, of Alejandro Guido that or Guido that should be that, but could be potential. <laughs> that's been questionable for the last six weeks or longer. He is absolutely a ghost with that right quad strain. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I really don't know if we're going to address uh, Fito or you know if him and Djokovic are going to come back. It wouldn't well, surprise me to see at least Djokovic come back with Zimmerman out, but who knows? Was Fito's point. a season-long loan, or was it just for the weekend? I honestly don't know. I I don't think we ever got those details. Yeah, um, I mean, I can and there see were some, some of the pictures. Th- or say, I think some of there the Phoenix guys on- may come back though. Yeah, yeah. So we had Peter Lee Vassell go to Phoenix, and then Yakovic and uh, Fito go to Vegas. And I did see some pictures of training again. I don't know if they were from today or not. Uh, they could be just dated pictures that were thrown up on. Uh, on Twitter. Um, but I really have no idea if those three players are still out. I would assume you dress 17 for San Jose again. Um, but the other thing you wanted to know, Josh was what kind of empanada do you like? I'm a chicken person myself. 
Yeah, I mean, I assume this means that we're gonna get some next time we go to a game. Is that? I would hope is so. That the, the I love empanadas. Uh, so when uh, when I lived in the Dominican Republic, I I lived next to uh, an empanadero that made a chicken and shredded carrot empanada mm. that I would eat two or three a day, um, and they were fantastic. So I mean, that's my go to. Uh, we make, I make empanadas twice a year. I make them, uh, on Christmas Eve. That's kind of like our family tradition. I'll typically make them like in July or so. One of my kids is, was born in July and he always asked for him for his birthday. So now I make those chicken and, and carrot empanadas twice a year. So if you guys are from Flagstaff, let me know. We'll make some, um, Josh, do you have anything else? I think that's all of our questions for tonight. No, I mean, obviously, like I said, it's the start of a little bit of a crazy week, you know, and I think we're going to have to look at, you know, the the San Jose game, you know, from a, I think from a different, with a different eye and a different perspective, just because I think there's just a lot riding on the second, you know, on on the last, you know, I said this, the, you know, El Trafico part two, right, for this season, you know, I think it's a game that everyone wants, it's, it's at home, um, and so, you know, I think we've all i think we'd all understand if they punted on that one but at the same time i don't actually don't think bob's going to want bob's going to do that right and i think i think they really at the end of the day you have your season your sights set on continuing to play well play good football you know over the next two you know heading into the playoffs make sure that you secure supporter shield secure the points record you know continue to do the different things that you do because p- making you know, as much as it's a big deal for supporters and these different things, at the end of the day, honestly, I think, like I said, I think they're, you know, if if we had to trade another loss in the matchup for a star, I think we'd all do it at this point. And so, again, yeah. there, there is that, you know, there's going to be the hype, there's going to be the buildup, there's going to be the emotion that comes with it. You know, and I think one of the things that I've loved about our, what we've been doing here is to kind of take some of that emotion out of it and just look at mm-hmm. it from a purely tactical perspective. And I think that's what Bob often tries to do. And then again, just kind of remove, remove the emotion, go about your business, do your thing. And at the end of the day, your football is really going to you know, be the difference between winning and losing. And so I think that's yeah. something to think about as we head into these next, you know, down the stretch run is, you know, how much weight do you put on certain things because it's an you know, emotional response versus how much, you know, from the bigger picture, can we still look at the things that are happening and be appreciative of, you know, what's been an amazing season so far and, and hopefully continues to be as such, you know, regardless of the little hiccups that happen along the way, right? Will you remember, will you remember a, you know, lose, you know, how much will it matter if you win the cup and the shield, you know, you do the double at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. You know, like I said, if I had to trade, you know, if I have to trade a bunch of losses in a rivalry game for a whole lot of, of silverware, I'll do it in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, let the galaxy be the ones to trade in silverware for a couple wins in regular season matches. Uh, do those wins of theirs sting? Yeah, absolutely.